healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next man. Welcome back to the Basement Fellow Music Covers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky West of the Podcast. I am your host, Kevin, and as usual, we are so happy to have you down here yet again. And kick off this week with another edition of our Sounds Washington, D.C. series. Now, we do these um, for a couple of reasons. We highlight the local artists uh, because we love doing that. But if you're listening to this outside Washington, D.C., D.C. Is, is, uh, has, has a very... Um, people view it a little differently if you don't live here, uh, if you're not from here, if you haven't visited uh, for a good length of time. I've been here for about 10 years, and I certainly did see it differently than when I, than when I came up here. But... My point is, is that is, is that what whether you know it or not, DC is a thriving arts town, a thriving music town. Um, we have uh, sometimes it doesn't always come together because of the transitive nature of of this town, but uh, we have a deep, deep history uh, in in jazz, in go go, uh, in blues and bluegrass, and and in hardcore, in hardcore music. Now this is, um, you know, we've we've sort of hesitated talking about. Our biggest export there, Fugazi, for quite a while now. Because, I mean, look, it's easy to talk about Fugazi. They're fucking great. <laughs> They're just, they are one of the best bands of all time. They still have a presence here. Uh, you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody who loves Fugazi. You, uh, if you start talking about music in this town, a lot of times it just generally goes to what's Ian McKay doing, uh, the, the impact of Discord records and all that. So, so I've been hesitant to talk about it, but we're ripping off the Band-Aid. Uh, for this one, because I got my good friend Chris Richards from the Washington Post hanging out, me and uh, Vivian and Paul, and uh, just want to highlight some tracks of, of the past, the future, and uh, and where we're at right now in this in this uh, vital art form. So it's it was a, it was a great conversation. We actually it's going to be a little echoey because uh, the basement flooded, guys. It flooded again. Uh, I'm back down in the basement right now, but uh, but it was you know it was it was it, it sort of destroyed again a little bit. Uh, so we moved it upstairs and then had a nice chat up there, which is, uh, it's always fun. Maybe we'll do more up there. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, that's what we're doing. Uh, so if you love hardcore, if you want to know more about hardcore, uh, if you just like to hear Chris Richards talk a lot, uh, then this is the podcast for you. So let's head on down. Damn it. We're not heading down to the basement. We're heading upstairs to my living room, uh, to talk about, uh, one of the most vital art forms come out of DC ever. Hardcore. And Fugazi. So is everybody ready? Ready. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Mr. Richards, it's been a while. It's been a long, long while. I Definitely. just when you walked in, I said over three hundred episodes since you've been back. You've uh, been very busy. It, it was a congratulations. It, it was a thanks. It was a, a congratulations to you. You're you're a father now. I am. This is you're spawning. How do we how do we compare these things? Human life versus three hundred podcasts. I, I don't know. It's pretty much even. I think. 
Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's the worth of each in Bitcoin? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be worth something. Uh, no, the kid's worth more. How about, <laughs> I, think, I think we'll uh, just agree with okay, that. I'm with it. Uh, yeah, but last time you were, and actually when you were here before, it was when we were trying to figure out what the fuck we were doing. And I just randomly was like, and I didn't know you at all, actually. I just said, hey, you want to come over and talk about shit? And you said, yeah, let's come over and talk. And something you said then stuck with me uh, about being a music critic, about writing about music or reporting on it. Uh, that the goal is to sort of shine a light, like be the lighthouse, shine a light on stuff, and that that should be the main focus. And you can go negative, which, you know, Arcade Fire, come on, dude. <laughs> you can do, <laughs> do we talk about that then? Huh? That, that already happened? No, at that point? no, no, we didn't. Okay, yeah. uh, but I think I emailed you after. Like, right. <laughs> like s- slow golf clap. Right. But, uh, you know, you can, but really the goal is to uh, is to shine that light. And I think that's perfect advice. Thanks. That's why you write for the Washington Post also. Thank you. So, uh, But that stuck with me, and I try to instill that in all these guys. Oh. Uh, Paul is sitting here, and Paul, this is probably going to be your last podcast. Ever? Unless, unless, well, I thought I, Mike uh, Cables don't stretch to Portland. That's true, but uh, the last I heard, you could actually do a podcast where everybody's not in the same room. Oh, that's room. right. Yeah. Yeah. Technology. Tried it with more. How'd yeah. it work? Needs tech support. <laughs> it okay. seems like most of the podcasts I listen to, people aren't in the same room, and they make it work. Yeah, yeah, it could be. could be. And Vivian, you're back. Uh, no no Marcus to scare off. I'm here. That's okay. I think you scared him <laughs> off permanently. Uh, we're going to be talking about DC music, and it, we're going to rip the Band-Aid off this like right now with something we've never talked about. Uh, and hardcore is, I don't know, were you in, does not you consider hardcore? Um, by some people, maybe we played, um, in, in, played hardcore shows. Yeah. Yeah. But we were sure. kind of like the outsider band at the hardcore show. Sort of like dismemberment plan. Yeah. And it was just sort of like yeah. on, on the, on the and periphery. And the Wilson so. Center was still doing shows when our band had started too. Right. So, uh, we were on bills like groups like Page 99 and The Scam and right. other kind of like. But yeah. when people think about DC, you know, we've covered Go-Go in here, uh, Chocolate City, uh, jazz and stuff. But really I think, uh. There's a legacy here of, of hardcore music that exists maybe here. You've got New York, uh, maybe like California, L.A., stuff like that. Just very few places uh, that this actually exists. But I – and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the band that everybody points to when they talk about this music is Fugazi, Ian MacKay. He, he – we're going to talk about a lot of bands he was in. But – uh, I want to play a little track from that to kick this out. This is the first and only time we're going to do this, Paul. I'm, I'm actually really glad that you agreed to have an entire Fugazi cast. <laughs> so, <laughs> this entire podcast well, will now be taken over by Fugazi. We're going to play Red Medicine in its entirety. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Ian won't mind at all. It'll be fine. Uh, but here, here's here's a song that you know and love uh, if, if you're listening to this podcast at all. It's Winking.
Waiting Room Fugazi. That the song is is ubiquitous. Uh, it, it's in like rom coms now. <laughs> Saying, <laughs> I, I swear to God, I've heard it in a rom com. <laughs> maybe maybe somebody has covered it. But you know this this band that came from here. They came from a very specific time. The the like late eighties and rolled into the nineties and stuff. And they defined a lot. They defined a lot of your like musical education, your musical inspiration. We were just talking mm-hmm. how that this band. Um, I mean, it's everything to people. So why, why is it everything to you? It was the first band, the first great band I saw in my life. Yeah. Like in three dimensions, you know, up close and personal. They played at the Washington Monument in, I guess, 1995. And I, I yeah. was 15 years old at the time. And, you know, it still stands as one of the greatest performances sure. I've seen in my life. And then I got to see them every couple months from then on until right. they stopped playing to be able to kind of be a part of that ritual and see. I mean, I really do believe they were one of the great telepathic rock bands in terms of like the levels of communication that were mm-hmm. going on on stage between the players. They stood for something. They had a community that surrounded them that you could become a member of very easily. Right. Um, they had principles when you're young, principles can be appealing, especially the principles that are alternative, you know, alternatives to the principles that are being taught to you in public high school or whatever culture you're a part of as a teenager. So, I mean, the countless yeah. reasons I could really, I mean, you were joking that we could do an hour. On yeah. Well, yeah I we're do, not, we're not. Hours, I mean, hours, I hours, hours and hours and hours. So stop uh, me. I mean, we're saving that for the, you and, you and me talking about Casey Musgraves, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and for me, it is a band that like, I, I wasn't, I was on the periphery. So I saw them play in Richmond uh, and I'm a little older than you, I think. Um, and, and uh, so I saw them come up like when I was in college and, and it was just this thing off to the side and it was with all the other bands. So there wasn't anything necessarily special until I saw them. But I do remember uh, when I was living in Roanoke, Virginia, they had such a following that there was a, a, a little a country club. They played country music. And for one night, they turned it into the alternative. And this is in like 95 or 96. And this is getting near the end of Fugazi. Thing. And uh, and they came and they sold that out and people came for like miles around and it was like nothing like Roanoke it was in Salem Virginia had ever seen. I in fact got knocked the fuck out by a seventeen year old <laughs> and she just looked at me and just clocked me because she was just so into it. I didn't know what happened. I was like, okay, fine. Didn't know the person, but it was wow. I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad. You just got you're just sitting in the crowd and got punched. In the yeah, face yeah. We're randomly. we're close to the front and this girl wow. started like thrashing yeah. around and yeah. she just like looked straight at me and it's like bam. I'm like down I'd went. Wow. <laughs> and uh and uh but and it remains one of my like I said, one of my favorite shows. Um and then fast forward to here though when I moved here ten years ago now, and um I, I don't know if I didn't expect people to be people are gonna talk about them forever and they should talk about them forever, but the reason we've never talked about them is because you can't really turn a corner in DC without somebody bringing up Fugazi or comparing any band to it. And that's actually what I wanted to sort of do with this this episode and the hardcore stuff is figure out where that base is because the time that they existed, although now maybe it's here, we're in, we're in Trump. These, these are the same similar conditions. Up to then, though, up to now, it wasn't really the similar conditions, and it's weird to see it persist. So I many now, like you know, a decade and a half, two decades. I mean, because Vivian, you're from California, you knew who Fugazi was, right? I heard of them i never really listened to them yeah but i think it's interesting that you're talking about um turning points and stuff like that something that that made me think of and that i was actually researching a lot about for this episode was talking about like female voices in Mm -hmm. punk music because i think when fugazi was like starting if i'm correct on my dates and when the punk scene in dc was beginning in the 80s it was more male dominated and then starting in the 90s there was the whole riot girl movement and 
other female artists started kind of bringing themselves into the scene, which I think was a turning point in that sense where they were kind of shut out of the punk scene up until then and then created a space for themselves and created a space for other women. Yeah, and here it was Revolution Summer. It was like 85, and that's when it really started to more, not so much uh, Riot Girl as much as people were addressing, like, hey, don't don't be a super macho dick at the show and <laughs> and and taking on a little more social issues. And I think, um, I mean, I, I, like, like, I've seen Ian get off the stage because somebody carried a uh, security guard carried a guy out uh, because he thought he was attacking a woman when it was very clear that he was just helping the woman up. And Ian, Ian stopped the show and he left. You know, it's, it, this is like there's there's very few bands where you have that um, moral core to it that they're they're willing to do it. I mean, that was the last time they ever played Richmond. Mm. They were like, "Fuck you, Flood Zone, we are out." And um, yeah, and but again, that that seems to if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, that has sort of that bled out over the years in D.C. But we've still maintained as we're going to hear from some other bands, uh, the hardcore scene is definitely thriving. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing that I've kind of realized in the past few years is it's almost like a folk tradition in the sen- in a sense. You know, like you could argue, and I would argue that hardcore was born in Washington D.C. with Bad Brains, and then Minor yeah. Threat was kind of the band Ian's first major band it was the group that kind of took what they were doing and helped amplify it mm-hmm. across the country in a really intense way. And then from there on, I think you know it spreads to Black Flag and all these other things. Um, but Bad Brains, I think, is kind of the big bang, and people will argue about that, but. No, I'll, I'll stand, I'll I think it, it is. I think I'll any yeah. any band we've been talking a lot about Living Color, and like if you talk to like Vernon Reed or any of those guys, they're like, yeah, that was the ultimate yeah. band. Yeah, because not yeah. only not only was it music that, uh, in hindsight, you ever have this thing where like if you listen to metal when you were a kid, it was scary as fuck, and then now you're just like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's cool, but it's yeah. so scary. <laughs> but, but not only was Bad yeah. Brain scary as fuck, like to to most of the people like here who were not like natives of Washington D.C., they were a bunch of black dudes. That's scaring the fuck. Like, what noise is this that nobody's ever heard? And then they're just turning it on and and taking over the world. And then, yeah. and yeah, I I can't. I should have loaded up a Bad Brain song because I think they are one of the best examples of this this scene. Yeah, but uh, I mean, when I first heard them, I was it was they'd already been a band for I don't know fifteen years maybe. Yeah. Um, but it was the raw tapes and oh. I thought I th- and it was actually on a cassette and I thought my cassette player was broken. Cause I was like, why is this so fast? <laughs> like what yeah, this, this can't, this band really can't be playing at this speed. And then of course they were, but um, sorry to get back to your question in terms of like, you know, how hardcore continues to exist in Washington. It has, it's sort of, you know, peaks and valleys and surges and the waves go in and out. But I do realize it's almost kind of like a folk tradition. I think in the eighties when it was starting, there was this sense of like, it being a brand new thing, a new idiom for rock music yeah. and it was inventive and it was confronting the issues of the day and bands that are still kind of practicing that sound in the 21st century. It's, it's a different, I think it just plays kind of a different role and I think it's more for itself rather than, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like I felt like those bands were very much against the outside world and now today's hardcore is right. very much kind of like for its own insular world, if that makes any sense. No, no, it absolutely does. I mean, and you've written a, a lot of bunch. I, have, I don't think you have you written about the band that we're going to play the track. From I have. You I have, have actually, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it is because all those idioms and traditions are for world. Like, if you identify as a folky, like you said, you're gonna 
you're gonna wear the thing. You're gonna you, know, you you live the life. A lot of people until you don't. Until you just become like a musical omnivore. Right. And don't give a fuck. Right. But uh, yeah, that that hard. I don't know. I've always associated it with youth. Mm-hmm. And so, like when I see like older people like really still into it, I'm like, right. "Ooh, that's interesting." But I also never thought about it as like the folk tradition. So, so that's just me being an asshole. <laughs> like, no, not like, necessarily. Not necessarily. I, I mean, it's it's just interesting to see how yeah what. I'm always interested in, in musical inheritance, mm-hmm. whether it's jazz, whether it's bluegrass, and, and whether it's hardcore punk. And the thing that's interesting about today's hardcore bands is that makes them different very much from the 80s is the hyper-fluency that they have. Yeah. Because, as we all know, we live in this digital era, and I'm just amazed by some of these musicians who are 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, and they have this like preposterous fluency <laughs> of, of, of the music that they care about, this really kind of tiny little sort of like micro-spec of American rock and roll, they know everything about it. Right. And like, you know, you just can be that way in the nineties. You'd have to have tons of money to be the record collector yeah. and have, you know, how do, who knows how you even find out. Well, how, yeah, how would you seven find inches it? from? Yeah, but, exactly. Like, so like, like there, right. there are things that we accept now as like, Oh, this is just something I just go to that playlist mm-hmm. and think that we accept now is like, it's fine, but you have to understand like you literally could not find like, like a track that, that we're going to play. Uh, it's by a uh, genocide pact. Mm hmm. Look, that music was around then. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like, sure. yeah. it, it definitely was around then. But good luck, like I said, good luck fucking finding it. Yeah. Like, you couldn't walk into your record store. You couldn't, like, you just had to know somebody real special, I guess. Right, right. Um, but let's play a little bit of that. You want to you wanna intro it a little bit? Sure, yeah. So this is a band called Genocide Pact. They're a death metal band from here in Washington. And not obviously not hardcore per se, but they do have ties to the punk scene. And I think that there's kind of a blurry edge right now in Washington between... Um, punk and metal and a lot of the really good metal bands here have punk roots and they kind of come from that energy and that spirit and that definitely applies to these guys who are a trio who sound incredible and they're incredibly great Um, and this is a song from their new album called Order of Torment and I think they're phenomenal we can give it a listen and talk about where Paul Paul, you're going to love this okay
What were the lyrics to that? <laughs> I think that they were. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, like you were saying, Chris. There's, uh, you know, Paul's asking what, you know, these songs don't have lyrics, but they do, and, and there's a very deep meaning to this, and, and it's something I think in in this type of music. I don't know how much you like celebrate or listen to it, and stuff, but like I, I listen to it sparingly. Uh, it, it, it's like if music serves a purpose, each type of music and stuff. This is a very visceral like body slam and stuff. And for me, it's almost stuff that needs to be heard like live instead of on record. Yeah. So when I hear it on record, when I hear that, I like inside, I'm like, yeah. But but I can't like I, I can't jump into it. But the lyrics are like important, right? Yeah, yeah. I interviewed the uh, vocalist uh, Tim Mulvaney for this from this band, and you know he's telling me genocide pact. I asked him what the band name was about, and he's like, it's about. Um, the sort of conspiracy between governments and corporations to annihilate the human race. <laughs> and people in the punk scene are uncomfortable with their name. Like whenever I hear them brought up in conversation, people call them G pact because they don't like saying the word genocide out loud. But I think, but it's important because it's part of their name. I mean, you think of these metal yeah. bands like anthrax slayer. These are things that will kill you. And, the genocide pact will certainly be the end of us all. Yeah. If such a thing exists. So the other thing that uh, Tim told me, which I thought was amazing as he was saying, you know, in death metal, a lot of the lyrics are inspired by gore and slasher movies uh-huh. and zombies, Satan, whatever. Um, but he said that he found uh, he finds PBS Frontline documentaries to be the most frightening, frightening thing out there. So his yeah. lyrics, his lyrics are very much about, uh, you know, yeah, the, it, the cruelness of reality it, it, and like they're inspired by Sepultura and and and, oh, and sure. Napalm Death, the yeah, bands, yeah, death yeah. metal bands that were very much fixated on like. The actual forces of reality that are malevolent, not that, just the that, fantastic that, stuff. Well, there's two things that that's still happening in the world. Period is is awesome. I think that it's happening in DC is like twice as awesome because it just it takes a level of nerdery to commit to that. Of just, <laughs> I mean, because if you think like I, like I like zombie films, <laughs> like everybody likes like this stuff, like gore films and stuff, and certainly whether or not you're older or younger. 
But if you think about writing a song or writing anything, and you just like, we're gonna write about the time the zombie ripped the guts out of the thing for a metaphor for the most uh, industrial military complex, like that's that's a wild thought process. And and when you break it down, that song is just that. It's a it's a potent bullet of just yeah. raw like anger and emotion. Yeah, I mean when I think about like horror movies, I think we watch them to kind of overcome our fears. Yeah. So it's interesting to listen to political death metal because it's like, can it help us <laughs> overcome our fears of of what actually happens in this very town? You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. They have a song about dreamers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, they very could. Very well could. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's rad. I, I actually am going to check out the whole album. Of that that's cause... cool. And they're part of a, a group of. There's another metal band in town called Ilsa. Oh yeah, um, and they're kind of on the same mission, very much to kind of um, celebrate the diversity of people in metal. The idea that like different people of different colors and different yeah, genders yeah. and different you know backgrounds can all be into this stuff because of it, metal, like punk and hardcore as well, you know, have a white guy white guy dominance issue. You know, yeah. and I think um, it's a, it's a pretty righteous mission. Ilsa, especially when I interviewed them for a story, was very much like make sure that you let people know that this is something that we're about, like trying to right. make metal more open to, to more people. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Vivian, you're up next. So, uh, this song is, well, you were just talking about, um, female artists a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but I, the, the first song that I was thinking of is one by the sicky boys called gotta tell me why. Um, and this is one that I was like one of the first songs that I, found when I was researching punk in DC and it's older a lot yeah. older than the one that you just yeah. played um, but I think it's from like early 80s mm-hmm. and this is something that it's almost new wave yeah it's like kind of psychedelic yeah, yeah. And this was this is a band that I actually hadn't uh, this is well you can't know everything this is head I'd never heard of them I literally I'm just like really? played it. I'm like wait this would have been my jam <laughs> it kind of is uh, but the name of the song is uh, gotta tell me why this is Slicky Boys
right, that could be uh, uh, that could be a lot of things, and we were just looking up. Uh, it, it depends on what they look like, honestly, and how you take that band. Because I said, hey, man, that could fit in the John Hughes film as like the prom band stuff, and and we were like, is it ripped T-shirts or is it new wave stuff? It's new wave stuff, right? You guys got the checkers rocking. It's almost it's new preppy wave in a way, like psych preppy. Yeah, I don't. Psych preps. I don't. I like that. You know, I I know what like. Uh, Tiny desk unit looked like and everything, but I I can't picture a DC with that in it, for whatever reason. Like that, like just walking down the streets. I don't. But you you were living here, so I, I oh, psh, not then. I mean, I was a baby. This is eighty one, man. I was an infant. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's like my yeah. memory is not that strong. Sorry. Okay, my did, infant did memory. That, did that band uh, have like a dedicated person to skank on stage? <laughs> like, they you got a hype too. man. <laughs> it's it's mighty mighty Boston style right yeah. there. <laughs> You would, you would hope so. Um, they were, uh, from my understanding, is they were pretty short-lived. Although you said that they have been playing like reunion shows at the Nine Thirty Club because they were tied to the original Nine Thirty Club. Which, you know, when we're talking about hardcore and stuff, that original like location was where, like, it's just where the shit happened, man. Um, there is uh, Seth. Did Seth always own it, or not at the beginning? I think he took over in um, the mid to late eighties, if right. I'm not mistaken, but. Almost forever. Don't quote me on it. Yeah, almost, almost forever. Almost forever. It had gotten up and running, and then he you know, came in and took it over. Yeah. And there you had bands like, uh, too, like you had Iron Cross, I think, Scream, which was featuring like Dave Grohl. Sure. You know, it was pre-Nirvana Dave Grohl, now Dave Grohl, king of the world, if <laughs> whatever, you wanna, whatever you think of him. Um, yeah, and, and like that. So with that type of music around there and thinking about how that influenced stuff, where is that in D.C. now? Like, cause I go ahead. I actually see that a lot at like Black Cat and stuff like that. Like, yeah. A friend of mine played a show there, and that that sound it reminds me so much of just like being in that. Do you experience. remember what the band was? Uh, the band that I saw. Yeah. Wow, I should really know the name of their band. It's but, your friend's band? Yeah. Yeah, you should. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they no the the one that came on after was very like very metal hardcore mm-hmm. almost and it was very aggressive compared to this is kind of what their band right. sounds like so i think that is where i see it is that it influences new bands because well, my experience is out of venues we've got a lot of you see a lot of like synth stuff like that's been going on for mm-hmm. a while and um the punk stuff happens occasionally i mean i could be wrong i mean i don't know what your experience is chris but like my experience is that it is this very synth poppy stuff that's going on in here, and then once in a while you get a punk or hardcore devotee, a band like that. But mm-hmm. nothing like this is somewhere. This is somewhere in between, like smart pop songs. This is like the Cars, man. But, but yeah, yeah, I think this is also like a very specific sound mm-hmm. that I don't think would play really well if somebody tried to ape it. Like it's the kind of thing where somebody plucks like a riff that they like or a thematic right. element that they like and then mixes it together. Kind of what you were talking about earlier with everybody being so fluent these days. Like, this is a great mishmash of influences that someone could hear and then build off of. But if somebody was like, yep, I just want to take and make the Sticky Boys sound again, that's not right. going to go anywhere. I would see it every night. <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. I would be out every there's a, night. There's a great book called Dance of Days. I don't know if you guys have seen it, I don't but it's by it. Mark Jenkins and, and Mark Anderson. And... um it's basically a history, essentially, of DC punk and hardcore. But nice. the first chapters are, 
you know, about Tiny Desk Unit and the Slicky Boys and kind of the proto hardcore yeah. punk slash new wave groups that were happening in the 930 Club. And it's a good, it's like a really good sort of crash course on how one sound sort of replaced or didn't replace another. Yeah, yeah. If you and will. a lot of them were really sort of transplants from New York, right? Um, I don't know. I think a lot of people were here uh, from for like the, I mean, like the proto hardcore yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. was like tied to the Corcoran uh, oh, yeah. art school. Okay, I think in a lot of ways, um, there were certainly connections between those bands, right. and a lot of like the new wave and no wave bands from New York City came down here to play. From what I understand, yeah, but yeah. it's a great book, Dance of Days. Check Dance it out. Dance of Days, yeah, definitely it's will. a good um, timeline for you. I'm gonna play a track now. A band, a guy who couldn't be here, but he's been here a lot. Uh, ben Tufts. He is. If, I don't know if you know Ben, but he's he plays with. Has played with goddamn near every band like in DC at some point or another. He's uh, one of the best musicians this town has to offer. He can do literally anything, but his his strength is the drums. And uh, he went to school with uh, J.R. Hayes of Pig Destroyer, and uh, who is playing uh, Maryland Death Fest like this weekend. Uh, but uh, they started a band called Virginia Creep. This is about a year or two ago. It's him, Aaron Mason, who is uh, an up-and-coming like producer, studio guy in here who can play, uh, and uh, Christopher Wright from a band called Tideland, if anybody remembers that. Um, but they had a very uh, interesting mission because Pig Destroyer is more like what we're listening to your track. You know, it's it's way more aggressive and stuff. But a lot of the things that I hear coming up now, uh, especially like from Ben was from the IOTA scene and stuff, is the '90s stuff. And how 90s is mixing with hardcore and pulling in and stuff. And and I think we know that in the late 90s, what was on the radio, that just turned to, like, ass. But it, it can be done. You know, it, it can be done. I'm looking at you, Stained. <laughs> but uh, but so they, they got together, and they're putting out these uh, little EPs on cassette. It's a really cool deal. And uh, they've got a new one coming out, so I want to play a track off that. Uh, the name of the track is Sinister Muse. And uh, I don't think anybody of you have heard this, so let's check it out.
Uh, Virginia Creep, you guys have never heard that. Chris, what do you think? It's, it's 90s-tastic, right? I think it's really good. Yeah. I like slow, heavy music, mm-hmm. and that's what that was. Yeah, that's it, it's a, it's whenever I hear that stuff now, if it's done well, um, it always feels like very cinematic to me. Mm. Like all that music, you know, and it's partially because it feels cinema- cinematic and almost like a, uh, a Broadway musical gone wrong. Like there's there's so much emotion in all this music like that that's like this epic thing and they're trying to get out and you can just see it like being performed on stage. In fact, it requires drama. Like if they do a video, like he's gonna have probably white face paint at some point in this, you know, and and screaming to a crow or lightning or some shit, <laughs> you know, whatever can get the most drama out of it. But uh, are they big fans of Slint? No, I do not know. It was kind of slinty. Yeah. It's got a little bit of a Spiderland feel yeah, to it yeah. there. Uh, I would I would guess yes. I, I know just from Ben, he is he doesn't get to play music like this too often. Yeah. Fuzz Queen shifted. They used to be uh uh Miss Siobhan and Yuma Ray, which was a very Americana focused type thing, and then they uh they moved back here and then kicked it in the high gear. Have you seen those guys? I have. It's like very speedy, proggy, like yeah. there's a lot going on, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Aaron opens her mouth to sing and you're just I know. like fuck. Yeah. No, for yeah. real, for real. She's she's been on a few times and she's like She's yeah, they're they're legit. Cool. One, one of the better yeah. bands in DC. I like their maximalist like, yep thing. It's really cool. Yep, they uh, originally their intent. We're talking about Fuzz Queen now. <laughs> their intent was to basically recreate Loveless as a band, huh? Like go full My Bloody Valentine, full like shoegaze and stuff. And they at the time they thought that it was it was going to be. Uh, such a huge departure because like look at our Americana thing but then we've got this other thing going on over here and as it turns out that they had more fun doing that and they just that is an awesome but utterly unattainable goal like you can always set your sights like way at the start I don't know man they're they're pretty they're pretty close they're pretty close Um, more more bands should try to do that because if you get 90% there that's a great album yeah yeah for sure Um, Vivian you had one more song yeah so I really need to start uh, <laughs> limiting myself. Yes. But <laughs> no, no. What are you talking about? No, way. no. Do not ever limit yourself. <laughs> yeah. I love this song because it kind of embodies everything about the Riot Girl movement. Mm-hmm. I think um, this is by Bratmobile, which is um, combined with Bikini Kill, which is from Washington mm-hmm. State. Um, they kind of were the centers i guess of the rock girl movement which is all about female empowerment yeah. like we talked a little bit about earlier um but this song called stab i just think is so uh well named when was this out <laughs> um, so we 91, context. 91 okay i want to say 90s right. yeah um but yeah this was very uh, it was very a big part of the riot girl movement um being forward um like female forward in the punk scene, right. which was not happening before that. Um, in fact, like women were kind of said like their place was not in the punk scene. Um, Still a problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, not just in the we punk have scene. Not evolved, <laughs> so. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so this is a song stab.
Why can't we have like 15 bands playing every night in DC right now in 2018? I agree. I'd be very happy about that. Right. Right. I, I mean, we're closer than we were, maybe. Yeah, I think I think I think you may be right, and that's that's the thing. You know, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about um, how some of the stuff keeps bubbling up. It keeps like evolving. You know, with the genocide pact and bands like that, and bringing in all these different uh, different sounds. We just sort of Virginia Creep is one of those that's doing that. Um, there's institutions still, I think, in place that keep this going. And and uh, it's another fascinating side of this is that it wasn't just it, – it's not – it's never here been just a style. You know, if you think about like Fort Reno, which, you know, that started basically because Martin Luther King got assassinated and and people of, of the lean that would eventually work into the hardcore stuff uh, – uh, we're like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta do something, and pacify it with music, and now that's a, that's a staple. I, that's unique, I think, to any city in the world, right? Is that I, I don't, I don't know anybody who does it. Like, I don't, I can't go. Like, I lived in Richmond for a long time. I couldn't go to Richmond and see something like that. I couldn't go to New York and necessarily see something like that. You might see better bands in the clubs. Positive Force is still around. Yep. St. Stephen's Church. Yep. Like all, all these like sort of relics that. That uh, that house like this energy that people keep feeding off in the city and, and driving it around and stuff, um, which as an outsider is kind of it's kind of fascinating to me that that history keeps on going. You know, I, I said I want eighteen of these and stuff. I I, I vacillate between wanting permanence in my style and and mm-hmm. wanting and always needing something new. Like, I don't know how yeah. you you are with. Well, music. I think you make a really good point about how you know. For a musical tradition to thrive, you need places for the music to be shared. Sure. <laughs> and DC is it's a problem historically now. overall pretty good at that. The park service has been involved. Mm-hmm. The museums sometimes host musicians. The DC Public Library for a long time yeah. was hosting a really great concert series and I think is kind of on hiatus right now while they do some reconstruction downtown. But mm-hmm. um, you know, these are Whenever I'm at a show in a library, I think, well, this isn't. This probably isn't happening in Cleveland. No, or, this, it's, you know, it's, or it's Los Angeles not. or New York City, even well, for that well, matter. I, I think the trade-off um, is something that that uh, we've we've sort of held venues a lot to task for. This is is because in other towns it may actually be happening in venues. Yeah. And so when you know y- you and I are pretty like entrenched in like the music scene around here, we know all the people like involved and. It, so like I know all the people interested in doing this music like nonstop, and I know one of the biggest problems is aside from those outlets finding some place to play right. on a regular basis. Sure. I mean that I know indie rock sort of swept up this thing where it's like you can't you can't overhype or anything, but the reality is like a, if you're a band like you should be you should be a band man. Play, yeah, be out there, yeah. vibrate the air, for be sure. out there. Yeah, can I grab the steering wheel of your podcast and turn yes. it around really quick? Yes, you said that stab was. It- 
the perfect song for tell yeah. me, I want to hear more about why you chose this what so, I think is a great song I'm so glad you chose it yeah so the the part of the lyrics that really stuck out to me was that the part that she keeps repeating is you can't cut me out which I think is what the entire movement is all about is creating a space for well not just for women and like female identifying people but for people that may have been targeted by the male side of punk maybe targeted is the wrong word um but yeah they also were doing a bunch of stuff in zines which um i think is also a lot about space creating um and creating more than just music in the world of punk um, and I think that's also important when you're thinking about venues for artists is other ways to make the music go beyond just being music or just being shows is to make other things like zines or make it into a movement or that type of thing. So that's why I thought that it was such a good song is because it kind of embodies the whole aspect of that right girl movement in yeah. punk and women in punk. I think cool. can I have the steering wheel back? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I'll go back into the trunk now. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I, I think that's actually that's uh, a, a feature, not a bug, too, of this music. More so than a lot of other styles, is that uh, it has to be more than the music. You know, if mm-hmm. you if you listen to a jazz recording, it's actually about the specific notes. It's about that that space is like right in front of you preferably being performed live and never heard again. Um, but with this, um, there was – sure, there were fluent people. There were also people that sucked at their instruments, right? But that, that can also make great art. It did make great art, period. And, and you know, it, it becomes just this raw, like, clang of emotion that people are trying to get into the world. And if they have a zine mm-hmm. or if there's a group of women doing it because nobody's fucking listening to women, that, that – become bigger than the music and i don't see that in a lot of i mean i think you see it in hip-hop now in Mm -hmm. some circles but uh you know i I don't see it in a lot of other things i certainly don't see it in like classic rock i think that (laughs) what really defines it to me is that in a lot of genres there's a separate thing for women that's like okay well this is like this is female hip-hop like not specifically in hip-hop but like Think about country, for example. Like, there's a very specific divide, at least to me, between male country and female country. Just the topics, the ways that it's done. <laughs> that divide is, <laughs> is bad male, good female. Well, not no, even bad no. versus good, but just very, like, yeah. a different mindset even going into creating music. Which I think is what this whole Rat Girl movement was about, was utilizing the space and the methodology i guess that already existed in punk music to create something that was very aggressive women which isn't really accepted in a lot of genres of music i think yeah and then and then the wild thing with that becomes how do you um because like that's only going to appeal not not the message is it the message should appeal to everybody it does uh but how do you then take that message and 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 that music and have somebody who only listens to Katy Perry be like, I want to be part of that because of that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that I think is the trick. And and I, is it though? Because I mean, I never thought that that's what this particular movement or the other movements that predated, you know, the internet for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, were really about. It was about finding a community mm-hmm. and breaking into a space, not about 
converting the normies or something like that. And these yeah. days you've got a different challenge where everybody can everybody can hear everything and right. everybody has to find their own community. So now I think it's more about trying to figure out how you actually define a community amidst the noise because there's more noise than ever and so many signals lost within it that sure. I think that people have a hard time filtering it out. So the challenges have changed, but the essential mission is the same. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll accept that definition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably what I was trying to say, but better. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, and I mentioned, I don't listen to a lot of this music all the time, but it is, I mean, it's, it's vital. It is, uh, especially being in here in DC, I, what would, there's the side of this that is raging against the, the literal machine. Yeah. The, the machine, big capital, the machine. Um, and, uh, and that is uh, that's important, but and that's why a lot of it just happens here. Uh, people talk about DC, and we've talked about it a lot. You know, it's the seat of power, period, and that changes people like a lot. Uh, I know, just even like what I listen to, period, just from being here, like the conversations you have, the stuff you engage with, just from seeing people who change shit, mm-hmm. change the world. I mean, I think right? that's partly why, like the punk scene took such root here because people were pushed such to an edge where there's like, I was watching something about how the punk scene kind of came out of the fact that DC, especially in the eighties was by day, a government city and by night it was dead. And so there was really like, everyone would leave their government jobs and go home to wherever they lived, which was not in the city or like in the inner city. And like, that's where people started to hang out and why people started to hang out in an empty place where they made their own space and made their own things to do in that space. And it doesn't, it doesn't leave a lot of room for apathy. I think is, is that's, Mm, that's, you know, when, you know, back to genocide pack, those dudes fucking mean it. (laughs) Like they just, they just fucking mean it, man. And, um, and you can tell the difference between a band that doesn't mean it, who's just like, I really like this style of music, and that's cool, but th- there is a difference. I mean, look at, I mean, look, Ian's still going. Discord is still going, and he's got the sure. evens, and it's like, uh, that ethos is still like, deeply embedded. And more importantly, if you talk to people, like, uh, we're both friends with Chad mm-hmm. and stuff, and to hear him talk about that is like wild because, like, him and I are the same age. Beyond the obvious, we had radically different experiences and ideologies at the, sa- at the same age mm-hmm. now. And it's because he was here. Interesting. Yeah. And, and he was, and he worked with people like Ian, who were like, "No, you don't. Apathy is not a choice here. We, this is this is about life." And uh, and that's uh, it's wild. I mean, so I guess I guess in talking through all this, I get why we're still talking about Fugazi <laughs> <laughs> to come out the other end. No, bring it right back around yeah. to me. <laughs> It was a Fugazi cast. No, I mean, I mean, I get it because that's the easiest way in, right? Can I make two Fugazi points for that? Yeah, absolutely. You I'll can make just, as many I'll as you just, want. I'll just squeeze them in here. One is I'm really interested uh, by what I've seen over the past couple of years in weird digital articles, kind of critiquing them for being scolds or um, what? you know, a, a stodgy a band that would reprimand their audience if they moshed and things like that, and it always 
just blew me away because it just seems like this was a band that was very much for like people being comfortable in the room while they played music and like to have the takeaway be that they were sort of like these humorless guys who would get up on stage and yell at you like that's what you would take away from this like almost religious experience for me it always blows my mind so that's the one like little thing that i always sort of rage against on social media and then the other one other point is the thing that I've been struck by is just how so many of their lyrics, and this gets cut I think, to a point you were making earlier, like that they're prescient, you know what I mean? And they predicted yeah. a world that we're living in now. Of course, we were living in that world then too, but sure. they're just blown to the fore. There's a song Fascism from, is fascism. Man. <laughs> I mean. There's a song from the album uh, End Hits, which I guess came out in 1998, and it's a Pachoto lyric, and he's talking about how um, it's like, may all your borders be porous. This idea that, like, yeah. you know, um, the, the, the demarcation lines that we put on our geography are just man-made. They don't, yep. you know what I mean? We should be able to cross lines. And, you know, and it just seems like he wrote a song about Trump's border wall, you know, literally 20 years before yeah, it but, came but, but, but I vocalized. Think, I, I think that happens. And I think, again, because I think to do this type of stuff, you have to be, like, laser-focused. You have to there's – there's such a deep – and I mean nerd in a good sense – I know. I think I know. You don't like music. The term music nerd, but I, but I, I, I guess <laughs> in, a, in a good way, um, uh, you know, there there it's just a it's it's a it's a level of focus on the certain thing, you, the idiom, like it yeah. has to come out like this, and then once that's internalized, it frees up like everything else. Right. How do you know about music nerds? Did we talk about that? No, I, I, I follow you on Twitter, dude. Oh. <laughs> I am against music nerds. Yes, let's, let's not denigrate are. ourselves. We're enthusiasts uh, you, 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 and we care. We're music I, we enthusiasts. are. We are. But but uh, you and me and more will sit down and we'll talk about that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> we do not need to hang our heads in shame. I literally, for lo- literally for saw, loving music. <laughs> literally saw that. More more. As soon as I saw it, more texted me. He's like, nah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, you know, we'll just say an intense attention to detail. How about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. For for them and and so it's prescient because. There's no need to go outside the – they were singing about justice. Right, and they were paying attention to injustices that were not front-page news. Now right. those injustices are front-page news. Yes. So it makes their music seem like it was predicting the future when in actuality all, a lot of horrible things have been going on in the United States of America for yeah. a very long time. And yeah. props to them for being able to, to look at it and to identify the targets too because so much punk is kind of about this sort of um, vague – unfocused sort mm-hmm. of anger and feeling that's great and, and discontent. I, yeah. You know what I mean? So I loved Fugazi for being like here, like here's where the target is. Here's, here's a problem. Here's a problem. Like mm-hmm. focus on this. Let's solve this one. Um, I love those records for that reason. I also want to throw out there just really quickly. I, 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 I came to Fugazi a little bit in reverse from where you guys came to, came to them. And this is for anybody who's made it this long in the podcast, probably all three of you, that are maybe not familiar with Fugazi, right, uh, right. Fugazi's catalog at this point. Um, I was a Southern California kid. Uh, you you heard about Fugazi when you read interviews with people, or you saw a T-shirt on somebody you probably weren't going to talk to, uh, <laughs> and it was it was intimidating. It was one of those right. it was one of those bands that was stood up as an influence. Uh, and you know, listed up there it was like, okay, you've got Husker Du, you've got Minor Threat, you've got Black Flag, you've got Fugazi. These are like these are bands that uh, were intimidating to try to get into before this age when we could access anything. 
Um, I came into it from reverse because I started listening with the argument and then worked backwards. Oh, cool. And That's cool. it was a really cool reverse journey. And I want to say that I've done that with other bands and none of them has been as satisfying. A lot of the idols and the influences don't live up to the hype when you're coming at it fresh and out of context. And I think Fugazi is one of the rare bands that does. And they're... They they work no matter when you come to them, as long as you come to them with an open mind. Yeah, that's really cool. Let, last question before we get out of here to anybody who wants to take it on is, why do you think we haven't seen another Fugazi? I don't, or I, have we? I mean, I I'm, I'm that, old. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> I think it depends on how you define another Fugazi, because yeah. I think from what you're saying, maybe in other genres. Mm-hmm. There have been people or groups that have done things in that type of. I mean, I mean, Kendrick is coming changing. from the same space in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that for me, I again, I don't know that much about them, and I'm now after hearing so many great things, <laughs> I'm going to go home and like listen to all, all of right. it. But I think that it would have to be a group that is doing something important and passionate yeah. and cha- changing something which i mean yeah kendrick but i think that it would also be someone that has a more like focused right message yeah well i mean these days it's uh i i think it's kind of tough because fugazi part of what made them fugazi was that they turned down all the record labels yeah they made it they they made themselves successful, but in the space where it was very difficult to do that, mm-hmm. like somebody we were talking about before the podcast uh, came on that followed a somewhat similar path, but because of the different distribution models available right now has had a very different result is Chance the Rapper. Yeah. Like yeah. Chance, Chance did the same thing. He said, I'm doing my thing. I'm building a community. Mm-hmm. I have a message and I'm going to keep doing that and I'm not going to take the early offers from the people who are saying, I want to dictate, I want to dictate your direction. The difference is that right now, because we've got so many different media models and so many distribution methods, the chance is now a megastar on his own terms. Mm. And I tend to think that if all of that had been available when Fugazi was around, I'm not going to say you'd see it on the same scale, but they would have had, uh, it would have been a different story yeah. because mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't have been people passing tapes to right. each other and $5 all ages shows. You would have had a groundswell on internet message boards and uh, file trading services yeah. and things so like that. And you, plus, yeah. I will say Fugazi is not going to do a Kit Kat commercial. Let's be real. No, 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 they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to throw that in there for the record. For look, the record. I got to say, at this, at this <laughs> point... Hey, dude, hey, look, the, cap, the Capster and the Stanley Cup, we were in the weirdest fucking timeline, so we do not know... I meant to ask you, is Malit's okay? <laughs> this is not a one-to-one analogy. I'm just saying that the correlation is, no, I feel uh, you. I feel is you. significant. I feel you. The, the point that I think you make, it's really great. This idea, Fugazi had a very clear system to reject. You know what I mean? It was established. It was calcified. And they knew exactly what they were up against. And we are living now in this tumultuous mediascape where so many there's so many different paths to a listener that it's very hard to, I don't know, assert yourself through yeah. rejecting 
the 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 super highway path because there isn't one anymore if that makes yeah. any sense and uh, i don't think yeah. it'll be a rock band like w- will there be another fugazi it's right. not gonna i don't i don't i maybe it'll be a rock and roll band but i don't think so and i think it'll be some artists making some other new kind of music and they're gonna find a way to because it's not about just like turning down offers and turning down money it's mm-hmm. about being in complete control yes of, it, yeah. of, of yeah, your yeah, art very and much... how it's shared and I'm excited for that to come back. I think that pendulum will swing back, but maybe it's the point that you guys were making earlier too. It's like everyone's just dying to get people to listen to their music right now. Well, it's very yeah. hard to create a situation for yourself where you're not interested in well, that and it, still create a it, massive amount of attention. It takes being just stubborn as fuck and being like, and and, and look, all, most good artists know why they do this stuff, and they also know that you have to make concessions. Yeah, you know? and Fugazi didn't really. Right. They made some, but the, the not, not not on the scale. I'd argue zero concessions zero? were made. I mean, that's like their whole mythology, and I think it's true. Yeah, like they really did it their way the entire, you know, yeah. the entire okay. ride. Do you do any of you think it's possible to become the next Fugazi, if that's what we're calling it, as <laughs> <laughs> while accepting an offer from a label or accepting something well, like that? And, and that's the question: is like. Ha- and, and so what I was saying that like you know I, I agree with you the mythology, but the you know there's stuff that, that it's mythology right, so there's day to day things and maybe they did and somebody can do that. Well, but I, but I think it's a great point because there's I don't think there's ever going to be another one to one analog because no, no. Fugazi. Yeah didn't do what they did because they didn't want people to listen to them. They had a message and they wanted people to listen to them. And if they had somebody coming and saying, well, we're going to signal boost you and you do whatever you want. Do you really think they would have said no if there were if there were no strings attached? And the thing is, right now, if you build enough of a following, but I don't think there's ever no strings attached in that way. Like if you're being paid to put something out, there has to be some sort of motivation to pay you to do that. But the thing is that right now, there are certain folks who have built their brand enough where others just want to be part of that distribution stream. It's like, yep, you know what? We're going to help signal boost you. We're going to take a cut off the top and you can still do what you want. It's rare, but you see this come up with artists right now where you can build your brand enough where other, where other people just want to be like, we can give you 15% more lift and we're just going to, we're going to take a little bit and we're not going to control your message at all. Very rare spot to be in. But I think it's hard to say there's going to be another Fugazi because rejecting all of that is essentially reject saying I've got a message and I don't want more people to hear it. Right. I right. think there's a difference though between saying that you you don't want to accept things because you don't want people to hear your message versus saying you don't want to accept sponsorships or whatever it is because of the contract that goes along with that. Because I feel like once you Maybe I'm making a reverse point to what I was making earlier, <laughs> but I feel like once you accept a, a certain contract from someone or even any kind of shout out or anything like that, it puts you in a position of either owing them something or like owing them something in a content way or owing, some, I mean, owing them something in a type of content way right. or um, down the line, anything like that. So I think that's yeah. one thing that, defined the fugazi style of putting out content is that it was solely their own 
ideas. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that like spring out of nowhere like that now, which get me excited mm-hmm. and think, oh, maybe this is it. You know, whether it's like a rapper on SoundCloud or even Chance at the beginning of his career. You yeah, know? yeah. You think, oh, maybe this will be a model. But then I also feel that a lot of those artists are just kind of like banking up to they like building up some kind of building worth. up to the sellout. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. <laughs> and then they go, oh, now someone can capitalize on this amazing yeah. thing that I built. Here you go, and it goes right over. And that's why someone like Frank Ocean is interesting to me because yeah. he seems to kind of maybe doing it in reverse a little bit like he took the money up front and now is kind of did. detaching himself from and, and, all of this machinery and it's, it's funny you mentioned him because so channel orange is one of my favorite albums of all time period yeah like, cool. I, th- I think it's fucking phenomenal i originally was not stoked about blonde but seeing how the release of blonde played out and what he's done since which is essentially nothing right right he's just like he there's no tour there's no there's no press there's no it's just like i made the thing has gone back and now when it pops up in my shuffle i will go back and i'll just like you know what i'm just gonna put on the whole album i'm 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 glad to hear you're coming around on blonde yeah well well uh, you need to cut you need to no it's not a better it's better than channel orange wow cool when when we come back next week to yes Basement, basement's already a wreck. We'll yeah. just go down there and lash <laughs> it out. Bring your boogie board. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and and he, yeah, he may be, and, and and in that case though, it depends on the message that he is. His message now is super important, but it's also laser focused. Um, maybe that's okay. Maybe you just need a lot of Frank Oceans. I actually, I also thought he did something really interesting with that release is that he focused a lot on these pop-ups where he would, he created this Mm -hmm. magazine around the album or I think it was a magazine Mm -hmm. um, and vinyl set thing. And then he created these pop-ups, I think also sponsored by Supreme or like working with Tyler in some way in a few cities, Los Angeles, New York. San Francisco, I think. And, and stuff like that, I think, builds, like, social and, like, celebrity capital and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And, but the important thing, sort of exactly what you were just saying, is, like, that lift has to add up to, I'm going to say something at the end, not just get the payoff. Right. If it's just, yeah. like, here's my shoes, here's the next line of my shoes, here's the next line, and then it's, like, thanks, you bought my shoes. Like, that's not that's not how that works. I think what we we can all agree is that what you don't do is take the sponsor money and then throw burritos at the audience. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. But... <laughs> I feel like that was a challenge thrown across the room. <laughs> but, I stand, but I stand by that gesture. <laughs> oh, did you do that? No, I did not do no, that. But no. a band that but I you know. know, you know a band that you, I know and love did yeah, that. You, you know, and I... And I, and I <laughs> Uh, considering the details of the circumstances, I support the gesture. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So I think I would just eat the burritos if I was given right. free I was burritos. Throwing, I wouldn't be throwing burritos them. Burritos thrown at me. I would. Yeah. That's like you, you rock and fucking just. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. let me know and I'll, I'll catch it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Actually, heads up. <laughs> it would be a great like uh, shtick for a, a punk band to take sponsorship stuff and then throw that stuff at to the audience and then it's like mm-hmm. it's like a Robin Hood style yeah, you throw uh, underhand though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 threw a cake at people, their audience people, people go to the show just to get the yeah. weird sponsorship swag oh, is getting thrown you, at them you are, uh, t-shirt you, cannon you, levels you have the uh, platform Mr. Richards I think to you promote can throw this, this absurdity. you can throw this out here free band idea yeah. see how the comment sections fare with that yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so uh, DC Hardcore, this obviously, we just really just scratched the surface. Uh, I'm going to have a whole bunch of notes in there and uh, bands to listen to and uh, 
So go dig deeper. And more importantly, if you're in D.C., go out and see a fucking show. Right? That is... Because, look, that community is... Even back to when it seemed Fugazi and Roanoke, even though I got knocked the fuck out, it was like one of the best nights of my life. Because everybody was there fucking just letting go. And it's important. So... Uh, thank you guys for hanging out, Mr. Richards. Uh, make it. Let's not make it 300 episodes. Do you come back again? Solid 200. And Solid 200. If we All get right. to 200, give me a call. All right, no, we'll, we'll, right we'll do 200. All right. <laughs> We're out. Thanks again to Chris Richards for hanging out down here. Actually, hanging out upstairs in the living room. Sorry, the uh, sorry the basement wasn't here for you, buddy. But we're gonna come back in uh, in fewer than three hundred episodes, and, and you can get the full experience down here. Hopefully, hopefully that'll that'll be happening because you know one thing about Chris that I think you can tell from hearing him talk about this type of music and just any music really is that the man love love loves music. Uh, more than just about anybody I know, and that's why he is the music critic for the Washington Post. That's what that gives you. Turn your dreams into reality, kids. Chris Richards is is a uh, is a good model for that. So, um, so yeah, if you see him in a show, say hi, and uh, hopefully he'll be back here sooner rather than later. With that, we are out of here. This is the end for this edition of Junkie Glass, the podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us in iTunes. Leave us a rating or a message there. If you have feedback you want to send us, you can also hit us up at podcast.chunkyglasses.com. Uh, those will come directly to me, and I will answer each and every one. Whatever question, however weird it may be. Uh, you can also listen to us on Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. So if you're listening to the playlist that I'm going to put up on this post, and you're like, damn, I really dig that that uh, that Bratmobile band, you can, like, in Spotify, I go back and forth from listening to Bratmobile to uh, listening to us talk about Bratmobile to then finding bands that are like Bratmobile, all within Spotify. It's rad. It's making this uh, this a lot. This is making this sort of experience a lot more unified, a lot cooler. Because you know what we don't want to do is necessarily you take our opinion just completely about a band. Uh, the the joy of music, the joy of anything, is the discovery. So you know, hopefully, we're just going to turn you on to it, and then you're going to do all the work. You're going to dig in and find out all the branches off from the tree uh, that this can lead. All the rabbit holes. That's what music is for, kids. That's what you're supposed to do. Engage, engage as hard as you can. Um, big thanks to our podcast provider, Pippa. Pippa.io. Go there. Give them a small fee. Give them your podcast files, your good ideas that you've recorded and put down. They will get you out in the interwebs, up on iTunes, up on Stitcher, up on Mixer, all those things. Uh, they'll get you up and running, and they have great support. And uh, look, we've been with them for now over a year and a half. They just started up in uh, 2017, and and they're amazing. They're they're always there when we need help uh, with technical issues, and they just they they are crushing it. Uh, so Simon and his team uh, can be your friends too. 
So, so hit them up. And uh, last but not least, you can always listen to us on www.chunkyglasses.com. Uh, every podcast is up there available to listen to, to stream from the site. And from there, you'll also see the amazing work of Matt Kahn and Mauricio Castro and Avery Genius. And uh, and they're out there every night doing the live stuff and uh, really just, just crushing it. In that they, they are the best I think we have. Coming up in the next few episodes, uh, we're going to be celebrating the release of our brother Phil Cook's new album, People Are My Drug. That is coming out on June 1st. That is this Friday. And uh, we're going to be kicking things off with a, a chat that we had with him. He was up here a few weeks ago with his other band, His Golden Messenger. And uh, he, he swung by the basement. Me and Juana sat down hung out. And it was, uh, you know, if you know anything about Phil, um, it was, as any conversation with him is, it, it, you know, life-affirming and, uh, and just, uh, just wonderful. Just wonderful. He, he's, he's the, he is the dude. And, uh, and so if you don't have the chance to talk to him in person, uh, which I think you will, he, he loves, he loves people. Uh, this may be the next best thing. And then, uh, and then, you can listen to that and get the album on the first, and then on the on Monday we're going to have the review of "People Are My Drug," which is going to be fun—an amazing album that uh, really he outdid himself uh, on this one. And then uh, that Friday, the eighth, he's back in town playing at Songbird. Uh, I just got my tickets to that. You should get your tickets to that. It is not a big venue, and uh, it will sell out. And and I think you know it's not going to be long before uh, he's not playing these small venues. And, you know, you're going to have to wait in line to get tickets and stuff like that. But this is, uh, yeah. So, Phil Cook Week coming up. It's all Phil Cook all the time. So happy about that. And uh, so get out and do that. Until then, be good to your ears. Be better to your people. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!